0: This is the Bill
1: Kelly Show podcast. It was uh, an emotional day at Hamilton City Council yesterday, uh, City Hall specifically. One of the items in the uh, the public works uh, agenda, of course, was uh, uh, something that we have talked about many, many times on this program, and that's safety on the uh, the Lincoln Alexander Parkway and, of course, the Red Hill Expressway, the two roads that uh, many, many people, thousands of cars and vehicles use every day. But it's about safety. Uh, And it's about a number of different things that we have talked about. And a number of families who have lost loved ones in collisions on those roads uh, appeared before council yesterday, pleading with them to at least install these barriers between the two sections of road, which we have been talking about for quite some time. Trina Williams was there. She is the mother of Christine Williams. And uh, for those who did not know the story and do not know exactly uh, what happened in, in the Williams family situation... I want to bring uh, Trina back to the Bill Kelly Show here on CHML to talk about that. Trina, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us again today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, you know, when when you and I talked the last time, it was, listen, let's, uh, let's hopefully meet under better circumstances. But here we are again talking about the exact same situation because, frankly, not a whole lot's been done since we talked last time.
2: No. <laughs> no, we've been uh, trying to get things moving, but it's uh, not moving quickly.
1: How did it go yesterday? Talk to me about the experience going before Council again.
2: Um, It was uh, pretty emotional. There was a lot of high emotion in the room. Um, I'm hoping, I think, we got our point across. Um, I'm not sure if it was enough of a point, but um, I, I think we definitely had some emotions moving in that room.
1: Maybe uh, for those who, who may not know, uh, maybe you can refresh our memories too. Uh, talk to us about Christine.
2: Um, well, Christine um, was my third of nine, uh, third of uh, four kids, and um, she was uh, just finishing high school or just finished high school, and uh, was uh, working as a cosmetician and um, was uh, planning her college um, for the fall. And um, you know, um she was just an amazing bubbly person and um everybody loved her.
1: And uh and she died as a result of uh, an incident of-
2: Yes, um her and her um longtime boyfriend were on the Lincoln Alexander Parkway two in the afternoon. It was a beautiful day. Um they, you know, they, they um, were just going to pick up a friend. Uh, they weren't speeding. Um, for some reason, um, uh, for some reason, um, he, uh, he overcorrected and put um, and went uh, th- across all the all lanes of the road. And um, as soon as he hit the grassy medium, it put him airborne and threw him onto the other side of the the road into oncoming traffic.
1: And the reason I, and I'm sorry, this is difficult for you, and I, 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 I appreciate you. that, Trina, uh, and I, I. That's why it's so important for us to do this because I I want people, I want city councilors, I want people in this community mm-hmm. uh, to put a face and a name to to these incidents. I mean, we hear about these things that are reported in the news, and we hear about fatalities, and 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 of course we're all shocked and saddened by this. But I want you to remember Christine. I want you to remember the other people that have died in accidents like this. These are these are people whose lives have been adversely affected for the rest of your life. I mean, you lose a daughter like this in a situation like this, you never get over that. And, and I want people to understand exactly what happened and, and to think that possibly this could have been prevented if proper safety measures have been put in place.
2: Yes, um, I know there has been a lot of talk. Um, I've heard it many times about, um, you know, um, uh, impaired driving or um, uh, speeding, um, being distracted um, things like that and yes I do totally agree things like that happen and need to be um, also taken care of but um, in with the people that I know that have lost uh, their children on that those roads that was not um, that was that that didn't happen with with ours it you know everything was, in perfect condition for there not to be an accident and there was and all we are trying to say is if there had been a barrier in place they could have bounced back in traffic yes but it would have been better than being hit you know um two cars colliding at 90 kilometers an hour
1: exactly and and that's the point that I think we've been trying to make and, and others have been trying to make for the longest time so you, you've you talked to the council you talked to the Public Works committee what kind of a response what kind of a reaction did you get yesterday
2: um, I would say um, the, the, for me it was a uh, positive um, um, I, I thought it, I thought it was well I mean um, they seem to Um really want to discuss it and talk about it and ask a lot of questions about it. And um, I thought it went pretty well. I I don't know if it was, you know, good enough to go forward. But um, I thought thought they responded really well to it. Not much was said. I mean, it was just a few questions, but Mm -hmm. it was mainly them listening.
1: Well, and that's what we want them to do is to listen and, and to hear how this has impacted your family and, and how has it impacted this community as well. And mm-hmm. and your point's well taken about what happened that that terrible day. Uh you know, it was not inclement weather. It was Ah, uh, there were no extraneous circumstances uh, like you say texting or anything like this. Sometimes things happen, and like you say, you know, there was an overcorrection. Don't know why. Could have been something on the road. Could have been. You don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But yep. th- with that, hey, there, there's always going to be the possibility of something going on like this. And what we want to do on those two roadways is maximize all the safety measures they can possibly do. And and I think that's the message that you and others tried to get across yesterday.
2: Yes, it, it is. We we. You know, we we know that it will never, you you can't stop accidents. It's not going to happen. That's why they're called accidents. Um, They're not, you're not going to stop them, even in the best of conditions. Because, I mean, in our case, it was literally the best of conditions. And you're not going to stop all the accidents. But I just think that no matter what, everybody has um, a right to be able to drive and know that they're safe. From crossing over to the other side and getting hit by oncoming traffic.
1: Did uh, did the committee yesterday make uh, any promises? Did they suggest what they were going to do next?
2: Um, no, not really. They just kind of. Um, uh, we're, I mean, we're, we are going to be meeting up again um, um, in December, um, but they said they, you know, there there could be some fun somewhere, but. Um, it, nothing was in stone at all. It was more of, yeah, we'll get back to you.
1: <laughs> but you've obviously, because of, of your activity in this and, and being proactive and pushing for this sort of thing, you've actually become part of a, a movement, part of an organization. And, and sadly, there are, I think, too many members in this. Is, they're families of people who have lost loved ones in on these accidents on these roadways.
2: Yes, um, it, it was. I mean, ours were not the first that died there, but um, they're the first that I had known of. And, you know, you you don't really pay attention too much, unless it's yours. (laughs) Um, And then um, I started listening a lot more, and, uh, you know, I was hearing a lot more of the same situation that we had, and I started contacting people, um, and it just kind of... um, built up from there. I wasn't really planning. Um, I, it was more of a, a need to reach out to, to them because it was the same situation. And it just kind of uh, started catapulting itself into, we got to do something.
1: Has it helped you at all, Trina? Has it helped you to, uh, like I say, you never get over the loss of a daughter. You're never going to forget Christine. You're never going to forget the circumstances. But does it help you to, to cope with it on a daily basis, to know that you're you doing something to try to improve the situation?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, you know, um, the, I, I guess in a way it makes you feel like you're, um, it, you know, it wasn't in vain. Um, it wasn't all for nothing, you know. Um, I just want to make sure that, um, you know, um, what happened to her and her boyfriend, Aaron, were, um, it meant something. It wasn't just a, a tragedy. <laughs>
1: Well, and that's what we're hoping for as well. Uh, Trina, thank you again. I, I I know that we've said this in the past, but I want to continue to to be impressed and thank you so very, very much for the great work that you're doing on this and, 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 and taking a stand on something like this. Uh, it's it's difficult as it is when something like this happens in a family and, and it tears a family apart, as you've talked about, and you've told us that story in the past. But uh, to be proactive on this and to be encouraging and pushing council towards doing something like this is... Is is commendable, and we want to thank you. I'm, we'll do our part at this end, obviously, and we're going to continue the conversation on this, and uh, we'll stay in touch going forward. And hopefully, we can get some positive reaction out of this.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me back again.
1: Okay, Trina, take care now. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Trina Williams, uh, the mother of Christine Williams, who was uh, killed in an accident on the link.
3: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM nine hundred CHML.
1: Road safety on. The two major roads, of course, in this area, the Red Hill Valley and uh, the, the Link. And uh, again, yesterday, if you missed the first part of the program, uh, thanks for joining us now. But uh, yesterday at uh, the Public Works Committee down at City Hall, uh, a number of parents uh, had delegation status, and they addressed city councillors once again about safety on the Link and the Red Hill. What was uh, common among all of these people that made the, uh, the their presentations yesterday? Well, they've all lost loved ones in fatalities on the Link and the Red Hill. And sadly, that's a growing number of families. That's just happening all too frequently. Once is one too many, but it's happening a lot. You know it is. And uh, Trina Williams, who was with us uh, in the first part of the program, was one of those mothers. Uh, she lost her daughter Christine. And well, it's it's got to be difficult for them to go through this time and time and time again, and asking city councilors to do something about safety on these roads. I talked about this on my commentary at eight ten this morning. It's time to put barriers up now yesterday, there was no commitment from city council about what to do. I think they asked staff to look into some of the things that were raised, and that's, that's great. But we can talk this thing to death. We can analyze this thing to death. But the fact is, is we need some action on this. And I know that after some of these terrible fatalities, city councils did commission staff to come back with some recommendations. And police have been involved in this. And, and there's a whole long list of things that, that they're recommending can be done and should be done and some of them make sense but i think the reality is is that from the standpoint of safety to avoid head-on collisions there should be barriers between the two sections of roadway up downbound downbound east-west whatever it's going to be and we don't have them i you know just during the news break there i went out and looked at the back window of the radio station we're of course located here at and longwood right in the west end of hamilton but from our vantage point here we oversee the 403 and I'm watching the, the traffic go by there, and the traffic moves at about the same pace as traffic does on the link in the Red Hill. And yes, there have been collisions right down below us sometimes. But, and you know if you're a commuter, you see this happen all the time. But there are barriers there to prevent cars from careening into the oncoming traffic. It only makes sense. I want you to come in. I want you to talk about this. I want you to give me your thoughts on this. You drive it. Your family members drive this. Do you, do you think they're safe driving on those roads? I mean, with all these stories that we've heard, and there are way too many of them now, even when you're driving on the link of the Red Hill, is there just a little bit of trepidation being concerned about what could happen? Should there be barriers between the lanes on, on, the, on the Red Hill on the link? And, and maybe any other traffic suggestions you've got to try to increase safety. Here are the numbers, 905-645-3221. That's 905-645-3221. If you're on a cell phone, it's a toll-free number, star 9900. Email Kelly at 900chml.com. And on Twitter, at chml, Bill Kelly. A lot of tweets on this already, and I'm going to go to your phone calls in a second. Uh, uh, right now, as a matter of fact, you can jump in here and get into the queue, 645-3221, star 9900. Should there be barriers on the link and the Red Hill to prevent head-on collisions? Now, they have talked about other issues. They have talked about better lighting. And yes, there needs to be better lighting. And they've talked about increased policing. I mean, some councillors simply said, well, look it, this there's not really a design problem here. If people would just slow down, everything would be fine. Well, sure, sure, in a perfect world that would happen. But that's not going to happen anytime soon. Most people, even if you're driving the speed limit, you, most, you, from time to time you're a couple of clicks over the speed limit. And they kind of expect that. Most people are driving at about 100 clicks there, even though the speed limit, the posted speed limit is supposed to be 90. But things are going to happen. As Trina said, nobody knows why the car that her daughter was drive, or riding in suddenly had to switch over a couple of lanes and lost control. Don't know. Could have been a, 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 a medical emergency. Could have been anything. I don't know. But the reality is, is, when that did occur, it careened right across the traffic island that little piece of grass that's supposed to separate the two traffic movements and they had a head-on collision and people died 905-645-3221 star 9900 on twitter at chmel bill kelly uh, casey says uh, on twitter uh, a single catch fence would stop all vehicles from going back and forth and crossing the median and bouncing back into traffic. Should have been there from day one. Absolutely. Thanks for the tweet on that. Let me go to your phone calls. Your thoughts on this on the Bill Kelly Show here at 900CHML. Jerry, how are you this morning?
0: Uh, I'm fine, thank you. But I've been listening to the subject today, and and, uh, it it upsets me that is there any possibility the engineers blew it, traffic engineers blew it when they designed the road, number one. Number two, why don't we just reduce the speed limit on the roads now. Make it more safe. What, what is it, 90 on that it's, road? It's 90
1: on both roads now, yeah.
0: Well, I, we reduce it down to 70. Maybe that will, will help the situation up. And I agree with you, there should be a center barrier down that road. No offense, about it. But remember, speed kills. And I really believe we should reduce the speed, okay?
1: Appreciate that, Jerry. Thanks so much for the call today. Appreciate you starting things off. Uh, and no matter what you do about speed limits, and that may be a, a legitimate argument, there are still going to be situations where possibility there could be an accident, could be somebody cutting somebody off. Uh, if you drive those roads, you know as well as I do, some people drive like idiots. And they have no consideration for anybody else on the road. And they're lane hopping back and forth, or they're not signaling before they make a lane change. That happens. I don't know how many times when you're going along the link, for instance, and you're just tooling along there, and all of a sudden somebody who's in the you know the left lane decides, oh, that's my exit, and boom, they just cut right across. That happens. I get it. But when that happens, and if it's going to cause some sort of a chain reaction, I don't want cars careening across the median into oncoming traffic. I mean, come on, people. 905 645 nine star 9900 Dave, you're next on The Bill Keller Show. How are you this morning, Dave? Oh, not too
4: bad, thank you. The sun is out. Yeah. Um, yeah, my first impressions when I drove on the road when it all first opened up was the lack of lighting and uh, barriers, for sure. I mean, they, even if they do it at they slowly in a couple spots and work from there if they can't afford it all at once. But uh, you take a road like that, uh, it, uh, it is kind of surprising there isn't barriers there. I mean, you only know, have to go with cement barriers. Even if they can't afford the cement, I don't know what these uh, steel ones with the posts in the ground cost. I don't know if that's any more economical or not. But ultimately, as well, as you probably know, as I drive that road every day coming home from work, and uh, I think
1: it needs to be wider. What was that?
4: I I think the road needs to be wider.
1: Well, it was supposed to be. Way back when they designed this, when they finally decided they were going to put the shovels in the ground, it was supposed to be three lanes each way.
4: Right, ultimately that needs to be done, but these things need to be done first.
1: Well, it's a matter of safety because anything can happen in the meantime. And and
4: well, you, well yeah, we both drive it. And you, God, what I see on there is the same thing you see. <laughs> it's laughable sometimes people flying by and stuff, and you just shake your head. Well, and you're, you're it, right. You're never going to stop that.
1: And it's it's going to happen no matter what. I mean, even if you reduce the speed limit, as our last caller suggested, there are still going to be collisions. It, it happens. I mean, that's what happens, sadly, with vehicular traffic. And I just I don't I, I want to mitigate the impact. That's that's really what we're looking to do here. Absolutely. Dave, thanks so much. Appreciate your call. At uh, freeze up a line for another one of your calls six four five thirty two twenty one star 9900 nine um, hundred. Where am I going here? Um, Zan, you are next on the program. Hi, Zan. Hey, how you doing? Good. Your thoughts on this?
3: Um, I was just thinking uh, the speed limit is too high and uh, the lighting should be improved. But with the barriers, I seem to I travel it a lot and I seen I notice a lot of deer crossing and animal crossing so if you put up a barrier and those animals can't get across from their natural roots where are they going to go they're going to stay on the highway and it's going to cause just as much uh, trouble as not having a barrier right
1: well that's a problem i get that and i understand that especially when it comes to to the design on the red hill section of the roadway that we're talking about i know that great care was taken in the design to try to, to take environmental issues into into consideration i get that but at the same time, there's an issue of public safety here, and I and think, where, do draw, where do you draw where do you draw that lighting,
3: line? The lighting, I think, is the, the biggest part because even at nighttime, when you when you're going up that little hill going up towards Mud Street, the glare is crazy, <laughs> and like and it's pitch dark there, and all of a sudden a car comes around the corner if he's got his high beams or or whatever, it's just so hard to see over there, and uh, I truly believe it's a, a lighting issue. That's just my
1: opinion. No, that's, that's your opinion. That's that's what counts. I appreciate your call. And you're right, that is a major issue. And the the, the spot in which you're referring is right there at the top of the Red Hill where it you know, kind of turns into the link, right? Right by Mud Street there. Uh, it, again, for people that are just joining the road at that stage, you're doing it on a bend in the road, and it's very difficult to see oncoming traffic because it's not in your rearview mirror. Same as when you come off the link way over by Ancaster there and you want to go down the hill on the 403. It's very hard to merge into traffic there because you're right on a bend in the road and you can't tell if there's a car coming. Uh, I think there's a lot of design issues, and I know engineers are going to say, oh, no, no, it's all done. It's according to spec. Yeah, well, that's fine. In a mathematical circumstance, maybe everything is fine. But, boy, for people that drive it, I think they've got some serious concerns about the way this whole thing was designed and the way that it's having an impact. Hi, Tony. How are you doing today, Tony?
0: Good, thanks. How are you?
1: Good. What are your thoughts about this?
0: I drive the Red Hill and the Link probably six or eight times a day I drive for a living. And uh, my opinion is I think they should uh, widen it to three lanes right from the QEW over to the 403 and put the median in the center. But I I think that will increase or decrease a lot of deaths anyways with cars going across the median. Uh, I think that's their best option and to do it now... Instead of doing it 10 years down the road when it's going to cost a heck of a lot more than it is now, be proactive while the problem exists now. Right, you know?
1: Well, exactly. You know as well as I do that the longer you delay something, the more it's going to cost. I mean, that's oh, that's an that kind of economic like reality, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's inevitable that they're going to widen it to three lanes down the road, so uh, why not do the studies on it now and get you know, get it done?
1: Yeah, it, it'd make all kinds of sense. I'm not looking at, and look, t- and thanks so much, Tony. I know there's a cost to this stuff. I get that, okay. And I know that money doesn't grow on trees. But this is a matter of prioritizing what has to happen here. And this, in my mind, is not aesthetic. This is a matter of public safety. You know, I, I had one engineer friend of mine a couple of years ago, uh, after one of these terrible fatalities, was trying to explain to me exactly what happens from an, a, an aerodynamic standpoint when a car loses control like that and it hits that little grass median. First of all, he said most of the time, if it's going 90 or 100, that vehicle's not even going to touch the grass because there's a little curb there just before that grass median, right? Sort of like stepping from the road up onto the sidewalks, that sort of thing. And he says that pretty much what it does is it makes the car airborne. And at 100 miles an hour, if it's doing that, and all of a sudden it hits that curb, it will probably shoot right over top of the grass. So the grass is not an impediment at all. So it's basically flying into oncoming traffic. And, of course, the driver has no control over the vehicle because it's not on the ground. And here's somebody else, some poor soul who's driving the other way, probably doing everything right, and all of a sudden you see this vehicle come flying at you. What are you supposed to do? If there were barriers there... A terrible incident of course and somebody's going to run into the barrier and that's going to be a problem. We get that. But at least you're avoiding the possibility or the probability in that case of a head-on collision. And maybe somebody else dying. It's public safety. Barriers on the link of the Red Hill. 905 645 nine start 9900. Steve, thanks for holding on. How are you today?
0: Good, Bill. How are you doing?
1: Good. What are your thoughts about this?
0: Um, I'm if you remember when the uh, Red Hill opened up, there was um, <clears throat> a big blitz about people speeding on it. Mm-hmm. Remember that? And it was just, and the, and the police were nailing people doing 100 and then 90. Now, they were doing that because back then the police knew with the angles and the and the uh, weave of the Red Hill, it was dangerous to drive at, at a high speed. Uh, I personally believe that the speed shouldn't be any more than 80. And, of course, the barriers, yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. And I don't understand why that's such a big deal. I mean, I thought putting up uh, those concrete barriers, they could probably do, like, in a week, and uh, it would be done, you know?
1: Yeah, I get that. And, you know, it, it may not look aesthetically pleasing, but, I mean, dress it up, do whatever you want to it. I, I, we were just talking about this the, the other day with our family. You know, the, When we want to go up to Collingwood, for instance, for a nice weekend, ski season's coming up right now. You go up Highway 10 from Brampton all the way up to Shelburne, you have to drive 80 kilometers an hour. That's the speed limit on a highway. Yet, yet I can scoot across the top of the mountain here from Stony Creek to Ancaster and do 100, and, and, and everybody's fine with that. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. Uh, you, speed limit is certainly in a, a, a part of the discussion, and it needs to be. But you also yeah. have to take into consideration the possibility of, of accidents and what's going to happen. I mean, just about every one of these fatalities that we've talked about now have involved a head-on collision. And if there are barriers there, that doesn't happen. What part of that doesn't City Council understand?
0: I do not know. I know I our City Council has uh, a history of, um, you know, uh, not mucking things up, but uh, really taking the time and dragging their feet out on it. So... Um, I have, I have to agree with you on that. I don't know what they're thinking.
1: Well that's a question for the ages I guess thanks so much Steve 6453221 star 9900 Andrew's on the Bill Kelly show welcome Andrew. How you doing Bill I'm well How about you
3: Not bad Pardon me for preaching to the choir but you're talking a lot about barriers and I absolutely agree and I'm going to reinforce that. Um, first of all, it needs to be three lanes. Secondly, that curb that's in the middle needs to be removed because, like you said, it's just a launching point, and once your automobile becomes an airplane, it's all over. But I'm going to take your uh, mind away from the Red Hill for just for a second to show you an example of how this can be a really good thing, the barriers, that is. What's that? QEW between Victoria Avenue and Jordan Road. Yep. The eastbound and the westbound are in different grades. One's higher than the other. The eastbound... That's
1: right, yeah. I was just there on Saturday, yep.
3: Well, the Jersey curbs that separate those two sections of roadway are not your average three-foot-tall Jersey curbs. These things are six and seven feet tall for a reason, because on that curve over top of Jordan Harbor, a lot of the westbound traffic was being blinded by the headlights coming right at their faces from the eastbound. And although the concept of being blinded on the Red Hill Creek isn't necessarily a huge issue, what is a huge issue are the head-on collisions and the sheer volume of death. You may as well call it the highway of death because of the way it was designed. If we were to install Jersey curbs from one end to the other on either side of that median, and perhaps someday when it is widened out to three lanes, we'll have one lane for merging, two lanes for driving, a shoulder for the emergency vehicles followed by a nice tall jersey curb that will prevent anybody from having any kind of head-on with traffic coming in the opposite direction.
1: It's it's all making all sense to us, Andrew, and, and, and those are all great suggestions, and I know the areas in which you're talking. Hey, listen, I remember when I was a kid when my dad used to take us to Toronto on the Queen Elizabeth Way, and there were no barriers between the roads then. Back in those days, I was you know, talking back in, back in the early 1960s. But they got smarter because traffic volume increased and accidents increased, collisions increased, and they said, we have to do something about public safety. Let's have that discussion here in Hamilton, too, please, about the Red Hill and the link. Jamie, you're on the Bill Kelly Show. Welcome to the program, Jamie. Hi.
0: Hey, Bill.
1: How you doing? I'm great. What do you think about this? What should we do?
0: Uh, I, I have a question for you. I read not too long ago that
4: the asphalt on the Red Hill Expressway is not... The type of asphalt that should be used in our climate weather, but it was almost like a bidding war, and I guess the lower tier asphalt won. Is that true? Or are they-
1: I don't. I don't recall the, about the uh, the quality or the inferior quality. Uh, I do know, and I, I got to jump in here because it's just about uh, out of time here. I have to do a break. I do know that uh, the city staff were pretty proud of the fact that they had this new and innovative product that they used as, as, uh, as the road covering there. Uh, but I can't remember exactly uh, whether or not there was any conditions or concerns at that time about quality uh, of the road. Uh, it's been resurfaced, I think, if, since then, hasn't it? And I know the link has at least once or twice in those periods of time. So uh, that, that may be a moot point anyway. But it's it's what people are doing on those roads. I think that's that's causing an awful lot of the grief, and the Red Hill's somewhat problematic because it's twisty and turny because it falls up, the, you know, the, the riverway. I get that. So yeah, reduced speed's going to be a factor. But to mitigate the possibility of head-on collisions, the barriers have to go in, and I just don't understand what part of that city council doesn't understand. We have to do a break. Keep the uh, emails and uh, tweets coming. And uh, we'll continue the debate and continue the discussion here in our community.
3: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.
1: It's uh, an abbreviated version of uh, the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us here in studio. First of all, thanks for coming in.
2: Yeah, uh, we will
1: tell our listeners that you were supposed to be here at nine o'clock. I know we had talked about that earlier in the week, uh, but uh, you got late word yesterday that uh, a minister was coming in with money, and uh, boy, when that happens, you make sure that you're available, uh, right?
5: Absolutely, and you know what? Uh, money for poverty. While we're at it, which is one of the, kind of the more uh, more challenging areas that we uh, we need to face. So Peter Milchin uh, Minister of uh, Social Housing and uh, Affordable Housing and Poverty, was in this morning uh, to food for kids and uh, delivered under two hundred. Yeah, fantastic program. Uh, you know, started about five years ago and they are serving thousands of uh, families and kids in our community and uh, delivered another 250,000 for them so that with that they can probably do another 1,000 uh, kids in our community. And, and the sad part is some 4,000 more or more kids in our community every month need to uh, to, to rely on a food bank of some sort or another which is... Uh, a daunting number, but uh, glad to see that the province is paying attention to those issues.
1: Well, and it's good to see some money coming in here too. I mean, the the, the longest uh, discussion we would have about affordable housing was always, uh, "Well, where's the money? Where's the money?" And 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 you were on council as a as a councillor back in the nineteen nineties when you saw them going the other way, mm-hmm. where federal and provincial governments were saying, "Yeah, you know, times tight. We we can't really afford to pay for affordable housing. You guys look after that at the yep, city." Yep. Uh, and we're
5: still struggling with that. So yeah. that uh, the after effects of that are still with us today, and uh, you know they never left behind any dollars for uh, for maintenance and long term. Uh upkeep of these facilities, and uh, that's one of our biggest challenges right now, and that's why we, we put together a $50 million uh, you know affordable housing plan, which is to try and get some of these units back into usable shape. So, yeah, I mean, fortunately, uh, this current government, uh, be, both federally and uh, provincially, uh, understand that they need a strategy on the housing side, they need a strategy on the poverty side, and they're uh, working arduously to get there. Uh, credit to staff, by the way, and I, I know we talk about a lot of the shortcomings uh, on, on, on this program,
1: and we need to have that discussion certainly but but when the city is faced with some of these challenges and and housing and housing stock and and like you say the the condition in which many of these units are right now uh, you got to give kudos to city staff for coming up with some pretty innovative ideas to attack some of these things and and come up with ideas like this I mean your your poverty reduction program was was fabulous and to get council to buy into that but it's staff that comes up with these ideas about let's think outside the box let's find other ways to do this and you're taking a lot of the heavy lifting away from the province when you do that, and that makes them happy.
5: Well, that's true, and uh, you know, and sometimes there's a, there's a bit of a risk associated with that because you take on responsibility that they that you know others believe is truly uh, something that lays with the province. But I, I mean, my view is we got to get this work done, one way or the other. Uh, we have fantastic ta- staff. We have a great team at City Housing Hamilton. Uh, you know, I have to compliment uh, Chad Collins, that uh, that chairs that now is really doing some very innovative and creative work to try and get many of these units back into uh, usable shape. Uh, Tom Hunter at uh, City Housing Hamilton, very, very clever uh, new ideas about how do we get more units uh, available to people and partnering with the private sector. So we're really hitting, uh, I think, a positive stride, but it's all driven by, uh, and I have to be... uh, Be clear about this, Joanne Priel and the Poverty Roundtable Group, uh, the Tom uh, Tom Coopers of this world, uh, Deidre Pikes that have been harping on this issue for for decades. Uh, People are now finally getting an understanding that this is an area that uh, needs more attention, more concern needs to be laid here, more money and resources has to be put there. As much as we spend on providing uh, innovation and entrepreneurship and uh, looking for new job opportunities, we also have to support those that are challenged in our communities that uh, don't have employment or are working in precarious jobs or working three jobs and have to make choices between food and, and, and rent. And uh, we're now, I think the general populace understands that and um, are very supportive of the directions that we're taking to help in those areas. Speaking of entrepreneurship,
1: nice segue, Mr. Mayor. Uh, you, you were just uh, talking to us as the news was on here. Uh, I guess you're dotting the I's and crossing the T's on the uh, the Hamilton's uh, proposal for Amazon.
5: Yeah, we are, and, uh, you know, we're ready to, to launch that uh, out to Amazon tomorrow. Um, uh, obviously, in, t- in time for the October 19th deadline, I'm sure there's many communities in, throughout North America that are, uh, you know, preparing their documents and finalizing. Well, we were just talking about uh, with our
1: panel in the last hour. I know you were busy with the minister. Yep. But I said, you know, it's almost as if we've taken a step back. We, Hamilton, I think, in the last 10 years has shown a, a great propensity for partnering with the neighboring communities instead of looking at them as competitors and saying, look, let's work together, let's collaborate. And we, you've done that certainly with Burlington, with yep. the economic summits and so many other projects, and, and with Niagara, with, uh, with the hydro, of course, the amalgamations that have gone on there. But now, all of a sudden, Amazon comes up and says, well, who wants us? And now, KW, well, you, you are dealing with KW, thankfully, but Toronto's got their own bid, and Burlington's kind of uh, partnered with them on, on well, a so GTA they're, they're, thing. They're,
5: they're partnered with us. Uh, really? Well, they Mayor,
1: Mayor Goldwing was talking about the GTA uh, involvement as well. Yep. But, uh, you know, my approach to this would simply be to Amazon, hey, guys, Southern Ontario. Uh, Look at the expertise that's in all of this area. There's a triangle
5: here of of expertise that would make this whole area very attractive. Yeah, and I think that's the message. So, you know, what, between Toronto and, uh, you know, Hamilton, uh, Niagara, Kitchener, Waterloo, I mean, we all have the potential of housing this kind of facility. We have the educational institutions in place. We have a uh, population and transit system that's appealing to uh, you know future employers, including Amazon. So if it lands anywhere in, in in Ontario, quite frankly, it is a benefit to Ontario. Full stop.
1: Now, I've not been to Seattle, but people that have tell me that that Amazon is not in one building there. I mean, it's it's there are different yeah. facets and different facets of the operation in different parts of the area.
5: Right. And 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 you know, and their main thrust is that they don't necessarily want a centralized campus where everyone goes into and doesn't come out of until the workday is done. They they want to be integrated into parts of the community. So our proposal actually does that. Without getting into details, uh, you can expect that there's uh, you know lots of land masses and parking lots and open spaces in our in our city that are usable for this kind of a use. So we package them together. Uh, we have the population base in our geographic area. We've partnered with Burlington and uh, Niagara uh, as a kind of a geographic area that would uh, support not only the uh, the land mass but the uh, the educational institutions: Niagara College and Brock University, McMaster, um, um, the McMaster School of Business. Uh, Burlington, all of those are assets that uh, hold us very well in terms of the future opportunities. And the province of Ontario is coming forward and saying that they're going to guarantee uh, through this process for all of the bidders and all of the potential that uh, Ontario would provide, uh, guarantee that they're going to graduate some 2,500 computer engineers going forward for the next 10 years. A requirement that's probably necessary anyway, but it's certainly going to be necessary for this kind of, uh, you know, a number of people that are going to be needed for this kind of facility that is all about innovation and research.
1: It's, uh, again, very interesting to just see how Amazon deals with this as well. And and by the way, I know we're talking about offices and, and about a second headquarters, etc., but, uh, and again, I guess you can't release details about the proposal that Hamilton's putting forth right now. But I would think with, you know, the busiest cargo airport in the country located here in this community right now, so some, a discussion about distribution with Amazon wouldn't be a bad idea either.
5: Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and what, what we need to do out of this is not only put something together for, to, for uh, you know, October the 19th, but, but use this as a, as a launching pad for other potential opportunities that, uh, that exist. So there are competitors to Amazon. Uh, they're, they, they're also looking for you know getting their distribution networks up and, uh, and, and distributed uh, throughout the country. There's other innovation centers and other companies that are working in the innovation and research space. So uh, what we what we've positioned this to do is not only appeal to Amazon but also then ultimately appeal to other companies that could look at Hamilton as, a, as an investment opportunity. and we have we have the assets so as you mentioned, we have a, you know, an international airport, in fact, that's uh, just about to expand even more. Uh, we, have, uh, we have the uh, lake port, that, uh, you know, the largest lake port in the Great Lakes, that uh, is a great asset out to the seaways. We have uh, you know, great land masses uh, you know, that, that are available and uh, ready to be utilized, including a number of buildings that could be retooled. And, uh, and we have a population base that's well-educated edu- and, and a resource network around us, like Kitchener, Waterloo, and Toronto, that has that network of uh, computer engineers and technology that feeds into this whole scenario. So we're well-situated, but at the end of the day, it's Amazon that gets to decide, and we'll, we'll be competitive. But we, we want to be sure that the work that we've done here and the money that we've spent is going to be useful for our economic development future, notwithstanding Amazon.
1: Uh, yesterday, Paul Johnson joined us on the show. Of course, Paul is uh, running the uh, the LRT project for the city. He's uh, uh, coordinating an awful lot of the efforts that are going on there. And, of course, he's, I guess, the main... Uh, linkage between uh, the city and MetroLinks as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I'll ask him. I asked you the same question I asked him yesterday. Why haven't you heard from the province yet uh, about th- the request that council put forward earlier uh, about who's going to own, operate, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, in my mind, Mister Mayor, it seems as if this it's holding up the process. Now I asked Paul yesterday, "Are you concerned?" And his answer essentially was, "Not yet." Uh, but it's 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 down the road, not too far, and and I'm sure you share that concern.
5: I do, and uh, and you know we we talked about it yesterday, and uh, you know we've asked on a number of occasions from the province, uh, you know when are we going to hear what uh, what's the timeline on this, uh, and and do you have some sort of a sign that uh, there's a direction to this? We haven't heard anything. I, I, I will I will say to the uh, to the to the audience that uh, it's not necessarily the province's fault as to where we are. This is something that was launched uh, from council, uh, you know, kind of out of the blue. So it wasn't part of the process up until that came out a couple. Well, of Well, and, and I
1: think you can raise some valid questions about why it was done too. But let's, sure. let's not go but there. But notwithstanding, it's
5: not their fault that this has been uh, delayed. Now it is now on their shoulders to come up with an answer. And and uh, I hope that uh, you know, within the next couple of weeks we're going to get a clear indicator of where they're going to go. Uh, I personally, I don't have a great deal of issue around the operating side. What I concern myself with, and I think this is important, is that we make sure that whoever is building this facility is also responsible for the long-term maintenance, and that that is a very, very important issue. If, if we're going to get the quality of this up, and and make it a cost-effective. Uh, uh, project, then uh, those two things need to be tied together, in my view, and then we'll get the best possible value for our taxpayer.
1: Well, and that was the concern I had when council started to, to even, ide- I guess, identify this motion and try to move forward on this. And i talked to Eric Tuck from ATU, the union, and mm-hmm. uh, I understand exactly where they're coming from, and I understand what, what they're looking for. And, and I think council did the smart thing in trying to be supportive of this. But when you start getting into maintenance costs, which somebody included in this, in this motion, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you're basically saying to the province, "I know you promised that you were going to build this thing and operate it and maintain it, but we'll cover that cost." That's like saying, "Hey, I'll pick up the check for dinner." I don't want to pay that. The yeah. province said they weren't they, that we didn't have to. And by council's motion here, it's like a poison pill, Mister Mayor. They they basically said now city taxpayers are going to be on the hook for for maintenance costs on this, and I, I, I'm not comfortable with that.
5: Uh, nor am I, and I, I think the province won't be either. But this is my guess. But uh, I'm 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 waited with bated breath to get an answer from them. Uh, to, to, to your point, I mean, we have an example of that very scenario, uh, you know, recently with the, the stadium, uh, you know, issue. So we, we, we were not involved with the stadium development. It was all province and, uh, and the, uh, the, the sports, Pan Am Sports Organization that uh, built it and, main, and, and operated it. Built it and uh, and delivered it. Uh, unfortunately, we're left with the maintenance issues, and and we're also left with a a, 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 sta- a stadium that isn't a hundred percent what it should have been. And that is largely because the folks that are operating it, which is the city of Hamilton, were not involved in the construction of it. Uh, that that I can't. We can't allow that issue to happen again. And uh, so so hopefully they'll they'll see the the wisdom in that. I think they do. On the operating side, we have talented uh, you know HSR operators. Uh, they're a great team. We we love our bus drivers. Uh, uh, we love our f- the folks that actually operate and manage our facilities. There's no reason why they couldn't operate uh, the, uh, the LRT facilities. I, I don't see any problem with that. Uh, when it gets to the maintenance issues, it gets a little bit more complicated.
1: Well, and if, with that in mind, I can't understand why the province doesn't sim- just simply say no. Uh, sorry, guys. Appreciate that, but no, we're not going to go that direction. Well, and and frankly, the comments I've heard from some of the people around the council table is well, if they say no, well, okay, we'll just move on. At least we tried. So I, th- there's not going to be any huge pushback on this. It's and it's a pretty simple question that that you've asked of the province right now. I think probably well, accentuated by the fact. That uh, that as Paul Johnson reminded us yesterday, the province already sent out the request for interest already with that other criteria. So mm-hmm. you know, if if I'm one of the people that bid on
5: that, and then the province comes back and says, "Well, Hamilton changed their mind," I'm
1: going to say, "Well, I'm taking the bid back then."
5: Yeah, and I, I think that's the complicating factor, and uh, and so they may very well come back and say no. I, I think what's slowing them down. This is my 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 guess is that this has implications for a lot of other projects, uh, you know, now and into the future, and so they want to they want to define a process that is sustainable over the long run, and uh, you know, so whatever decision they make here is obviously going to be the pattern for other projects going forward. And I think this is causing them some pause. So uh, I think they need to be careful about it because if they uh, unbuckle the maintenance issue from the uh, from the, the the design build issue that that I think will be a very complicating thing and so I think they're they're just taking their time to make sure that they're going to get it right uh, you were with
1: Ted McBeacon today, I know you are there with Minister Milson, of course, about the, the funding for food for kids. But I know the Ted was there as well. Have, mm-hmm. have you had any off off the record discussions with him about this process?
5: Yeah, we've asked him. I mean, he's uh, he's he said, "I'll I'll check with the Minister of uh, Transport, and uh, you know, we'll see what the answer is." And we've checked with the Minister of well, you've Transport. We've done that we dance have, before. Yeah, we've done that dance, and, and you know what? And I, I want to be respectful to them. I mean, I I you know these this was not something that they had contemplated as part of the process, so. It kind of came out of left field. Uh, I think, uh, you know, a couple of months to come come to a conclusion is not too bad. But if it goes much longer than that, then it really would upset the entire timeline and the whole RF, RFQ process. And, you know, what, what we all want to do is get to the RFP process. So let's get to that process so that we can understand what the costs are going to be and how much of this project we can get done.
1: Well, we'll see how the province responds. Uh, this is a, a, an abridged version, of course, of the, of the Mayor's Town Hall, because uh, you've got more meetings to go to. I do appreciate you popping in, though, to cover off some of those. We'll have you back in here real soon. We'll open the lines up, and uh, we'll do our usual thing. Can I make thing.
5: one public public service announcement? Sure, uh, go ahead. Uh, the, uh, the our Future Hamilton Summit is happening on November the 14th to the, at uh, Leuna Station on uh, 360 James, and it's all about... Uh, how do we uh, kind of uh, fashion our democracy and our citizen participation going forward? So uh, it's a really important exercise, and uh, it really kind of starts to set out our 25-year vision for the next uh, for the for the next future. So uh, if people uh, are interested and they want to participate, it's uh, uh, again Tuesday, November the 14th, Leuna Station at, uh, on James North.
1: Excellent, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Thank Thanks you, so again,
5: Mr. Mayor.
0: The Bill Kelly Show,
3: weekdays from nine to noon on AM 900 CHML.